Any thoughts on alternative titles for this book? Instead of changes for Felicity, I just feel like the obvious one is No Country for Old Men, but it was taken. What about No Colony for Old Men? (laughs) Too soon? No, never too soon. R.I.P. Grandpa. Welcome back, everybody. We made it. Wherever you are right now, I hope that you are congratulating yourself, however feels appropriate, eating jelly beans as Allison is right now, Ronald Reagan style, or sipping your maybe eighth can of seltzer today as I am. We made it to the end of the Felicity journey. Changes for Felicity, book six. Here we go. This is American Girls, the podcast where we are reliving the American Girls series book by book. I'm Mary. And I'm Allison. You're currently voguing over there. You were like ready to rock on this. I'm excited that we've come through another year with Felicity Merriman and company. I'm just happy we've come to the end of Felicity Merriman. Is that wrong to say? It's not wrong because I think she's evolved. I think she's grown. No. Maybe sometimes not as fast as we would have liked, but I think we get a lot of closure in this book. I completely disagree with you on almost every single point. I think that's but good. But that's why I love you. It's like we we complement each other. This is a woman who has devolved, a young lady who has devolved. I think there's some emotional immaturity happening. I think oh. she's blocked. I think there's inappropriate relationships with men all over her life. But isn't that what becoming an adult as a female is about? I mean, I'd have to revisit the I'm not a girl, not yet a woman music video. Like maybe that's in there. By the way, quick sidebar, Britney Spears, we're thinking about you and I hope you're okay. I'm really concerned and I'm really ashamed of us that that wasn't the top thing in our outline for tonight. It just occurred to me when I mentioned that music video that you know, I am extremely, it's kind of like, you know, when something is so serious and you're just like, oh, of course that's on my mind. So I want to make a parallel really quickly. Britney Spears is still in receivership, correct? Yes. So she doesn't have control of her own finances. And I'm just going to say this. If I were a teacher, I would teach the American revolution through Britney Spears. I think it's like the only sane act in 2019. She's a colony of herself. Wow. Like she is expected to produce and produce and produce. But the second she complains about her representation, she's at war with her family. Right. Yeah. And except and instead of her rebelling against the mother country vis-a-vis England, it's really a patriarchal situation. It's the king. She has to cut off the head of the king. But then here we go again. It's like the king is dead. Long live the king. Who's going to be the next conservator? I'm just really concerned. And you know that two years ago now, I started almost weeping at New Year's because she was performing really well and Ryan Seacrest was involved, which you know is a whole other thing Allison, for me. Allison, we're not making this about Ryan Seacrest. No. I won't. But I'm just saying, she's such a fantastic performer. Our beautiful and wonderful intellectual friend Tanya got us tickets to Britney Spears. Ooh. Thank you so much. Thank Never you, forget Never 2018. Forget. And we've just met a lot of people for whom Britney is transformative. And I'm just saying, again, maybe you didn't make that connection to the American Revolution, but that's what we do. That's what we do. Let me tell you something. I want you to pause this program on the condition that you're going to come right back, but please pause it. Take yourself into whatever music streaming situation you are a fan of. For me, it's Spotify. And I want you to roll toxic. Okay? And I want you to think about this. Is that a song about anything other than the toxic nature of the relationship between Great Britain and the colonies? Allison, your thoughts? No. And I will say, I saw a fantastic open mic last week where someone said, direct quote, I thought life had no meaning. Then I heard Britney Spears for the first time. Yep. And I think that spoke to me on a lot of levels, but I think... Part of why we're drawn to revisiting these books is we care about women characters with a lot of depth, and we just want to see that the right thing happens. And I want the right thing to happen for Brittany. Yeah, 
I mean, look, when we saw her in concert, it was such a weird moment because I don't even want to get into this, but I will just say that Kanye West right now is holding these Sunday services, which claim to have some kind of spiritual, religious, Christian thing happening. I've read the New Yorker piece. I know even less about it now than I did before I read it, which I guess is what the author was going for. It makes absolutely no sense. That all is to say, that is something that was explicitly trying to be spiritual. I went to a Britney's, we went to a Britney Spears concert. Yeah. Let me just say, you and I did the right thing, and we went in a denim on denim look to pay homage to one of Britney's, I'm cutting out the other person involves, you know, landmark fashion achievements. I just want to be clear by other person, you mean Justin Timberlake, not our best friend Tanya. Thank you. Yes. Thank you for making that clarification. We were a trio. Justin Timberlake, Tanya always matters. She's a trio. She's part of our trio. People came out of the woodwork to this concert. We were seeing people in all kinds of every Britney look you can possibly think of. Multiple people wearing the snake, I'm a slave for you look. Multiple people in red latex. You know what I'm saying? People were weeping. This concert started immediately on time. I want to say that because I just saw Mariah Carey and it was 90 minutes late. Still love Mariah. Britney Spears came out. Do I think she sang a single note live? No. But you know what? That's not what Britney Spears is for. No, it's not. It's not. Like, I think join or die, you could put that above a Britney Spears concert much the same way that ben franklin did as a masthead and people would get it right and look is i'm a slave for you a problem in the same way that maybe john adams and thomas jefferson calling themselves slaves to the empire is a problem yes yeah definitely but you know what i don't think she wrote that song did she willingly perform it and record it yes she did but that was a moment where justin timberlake used the same discourse I don't even I don't even want to speak on that because I'm so genuinely like kidding aside very upset about the way the media has treated her in light of and the way that Justin Timberlake has been complicit in that. So I I just need to give the listener a little bit of context which is that we started recording this with you at at least an 11. Yeah. Because we're already thinking about empire, we're thinking about the mother country, we're thinking right. about Great Britain. And as we're getting ready to record, all this news is dropping, or I should say rumor God. about Prince William. And I'm just going to say this book brings up a lot of complex topics about loyalty and being a loyalist. And you and I love the royal family, but there's a lot of complex emotions right now. I like just, you, didn't, you didn't start at a medium. No, tonight. I did not. Let me give you a timeline. I went through my day. Things were fairly normal. Okay. Then I get a text message from my partner saying can we have pizza for dinner tonight? That sends me through the roof. You know (laughs) I love pizza. I also had pizza. Thank you. Then I go pick up my pizza. I see that they've just put in a Dollar General in the middle of nowhere place where I live. Even further high. I love a dollar (laughs) store. It's a safe space for me. Then I get home. I'm reading this book. Didn't love it. We'll get into that. Thinking a lot of feelings about that. Before I even sit down with the book, I'm like flipping through it, preparing to read it. I go on my phone on Twitter. I'm like distracting myself. I see Prince William is a trending topic on Twitter. I'm like, okay, I got to get into this. I'm seeing all these rumors that he cheated on his wife. And I'm texting you all these tweets that are like hilarious. First of all, I'm like, Allison, oh my God, what's happening? And you basically were like, "Um, we need to record. Can you maybe like Felicity's waiting? Can you maybe dip into that book? Yes, I did do that. But it was tinged with these emotions about you know, what kind of privacy should the royal family have? What do we owe these people, well, if anything? Right. And it's like, did it color my entire reading of this book? Yes. Like, spoiler it alert, did. grandpa dies and he's a loyalist. While I'm reading this book and I'm like seeing these illustrations of grandpa where, P.S., he has a quixotic, mysterious hairline, not unlike a certain other loyalist British person. Oh my gosh, you went there. Yeah. Guess what? I did. I'm angry. I know. And I just, I don't know what to feel anymore, Allison. I think Grandpa's cool. I'm not talking about Grandpa. Grandpa's magical white Grandpa routine we will get into. But I'm upset. I am very upset. The British press has been very unkind to Meghan Markle. I agree. And they are not reporting on this at all. And and let me just say, it's not because they have such high-minded virtues that they won't report on stuff they can't back up. No. They're reporting I on everything. I read the Daily Mail I every the, morning. Yeah. yeah. 
I mean, if you kept up with the recent Madeline McCann documentary, you know they don't. They don't wait. They sure don't. So they fly with rumor. It's very upsetting. It's very upsetting. But yeah, I mean, the Prince William stuff, uh, it's just, you know, as Twitter's noting and as as you reminded me, like he's having a glowing down and maybe that's karma. Yeah, I mean, I'm torn because I want that family to make it. They just released first year photos of baby Louie. Louie. And now this? We love we love baby Louie. Yes. And I'll say shout out to my mom who's a listener. She's very upset. There's a lot of emotions tonight, but she's very upset because she's like, first of all, now the new the new baby, right? Megan and Harry's baby. She's like, it could have been born on the Queen's birthday. Missed opportunity. Could have shared a birthday with Lewis. Missed opportunity. Yeah. I mean, she's asking a lot of tough questions here and her priorities are correct. You know, what's next is indeed the ultimate question. That's also kind of where we're left at the end of book six with Big F here. Let's give the people the publisher's summary so they can take this slow ride with us. Yes. And just know like at the end, we do have some more pop culture things to get to. Of course, we we have a lot lot we want to say about this book. So stay tuned. This episode is brought to you by Podcorn. Podcorn is a marketplace connecting podcasters to advertisers for native podcast sponsorships. What does that actually mean? Well, for our purposes, it means that we don't have to run ads on our show for products and services we don't believe in. We take this community really seriously, so we've in an ongoing way been trying to match with products that actually meet our mission and our values and are things that we're proud to support. So Podcorn has been a really wonderful service where we've been able to log on to their site and find a bunch of advertisers who want to work with us that we're excited to work with as well. If you're creator and you're looking for brands that you might want to work with, Podcorn is a great option. They have a marketplace mission to give podcasters transparency, creative freedom, and control. And you never give up exclusive rights to your podcast. Click the link in our show notes to learn how to sign up and to learn more about Podcorn. That's right. So just head over to podcorn.com and get started today. Unlike the latest episode of Game of Thrones, when we're recording, stuff is actually going to happen in this episode. That's a reference you don't understand. No, I've never but, seen it, but I do trust you. So here's the publisher summary. For Felicity, 1776 starts off with good news. Her beloved horse, Penny, is going to have a foal. Felicity has one worry, Jiggy Nye classic he's been cruel to penny in the past will he be cruel to her again soon felicity has more worries her family believes in independence for the colonies but the family of elizabeth elizabeth's felicity's best friend believes in loyalty to the king suddenly elizabeth's father is jailed for being a loyalist will felicity and elizabeth's friendship survive the many changes that both girls face the short answer is yes the friendship is barely tested we we want you to know that in this book, we get a lot of dialogue and a lot of interaction between Elizabeth and Felicity. So we really get this granular look at their friendship in a new way. And we come to understand that the community has changed because loyalists are now being jailed. Mm-hmm. We also learn that grandpa's health is failing. You know, he's not the cool grandpa in the garden anymore. He's falling ill. He's visiting the apothecary. Still don't get that backstory. And eventually he passes away. Then there's a very awkward conversation where Mr. Merriman asks Felicity what should be done with his, quote, property, which we know means King's Creek as well as people that he owns. Felicity does not want to move there. She wants to stay in Williamsburg, and she also wants to keep up her relationship with Elizabeth. At the end of the book, Mr. Merriman, Marcus, Ben, as well as members of Elizabeth family are all preparing to leave for different causes. So Elizabeth's father is preparing to move to New York to be with other loyalists and some members of the Merriman family and Marcus are going to be serving the cause. We'll also talk a bit more about the plot line with Jiggy Nye, who gets jailed for being a loyalist and is actually saved by Felicity. And he in turn then saves the horse that is calved by Penny and her name is Patriot. Wow. It sounds like a lot happened. I was going to say, I want to give you some credit. You made it seem like a lot happened in the book when really there was just a lot of hanging around, feeling feelings. Um, There was. You know. Good outfits. Good outfits. Really great outfits. Um, I just want to start by saying in the last book, we praised Felicity as a Dr. Quinn medicine woman of 1774 to 76, whatever year we're in now. This book opens with her being 
unable to tell that her beloved horse Penny is prego. But at the same time, and this is an evolution that we've seen over the course of the six books, Felicity, who hated anything domestic in book one, now loves taking care of her younger sister. Right. But in a weird parallel to that, so we're told like she loves taking care of Polly, like she's super maternal and and nurturing to Polly and to Penny. At the same time, there's a scene where grandfather happens upon Elizabeth and, and Felicity takes them to go check on Penny. And he tells them that Penny is going to have a baby. And he basically says, oh, your father, Ben, and I have known for a long time, but they gave me the honor of telling you because they thought I would enjoy that. And then he says, let's go tell your mother. And it's just this really weird moment to me where it's like the women in the book are like <laughs> are predisposed or we're meant to believe they have no knowledge of any kind of reproductive practice, whether in horses or in humans, or like they need to be shielded. And it's, it's very weird. It's either like they don't have the knowledge or like they may not be able to, like we should delay telling them until we decide that they can handle it or that it's the right time. It's very strange. I didn't. I didn't think I was going to go here so soon, but I'm going Uh-oh. here. Two words. Martha oh Ballard. Oh, God. Yes. So she's a colonial midwife who's also on Twitter now. Mm-hmm. You should follow that account. Laurel Thatcher Ulrich, who is a historian who for many years was affiliated with Harvard, wrote a book that we have talked about previously on your first podcast, Chapters. But she wrote this fantastic book about Martha Ballard's diary which is a really, really important resource on what it was like to be a midwife Mm -hmm. in this same period. But even more importantly, it's a really good illustration of the ways in which childbirth and child rearing and really a lot of the lives of animals and farm life were worlds of women. Entirely. So this is just not, this is just like a very bizarre reversal. And we're supposed to believe that Felicity is so in tune with the horse, but not with this. It's very strange. It's an, and it's like, oh, is it because this is a part of womanhood that she, you know, obviously has not experienced herself? But then she goes in the house and she's this natural, like, mom junior to Polly. It's extremely strange. And it's even more strange when you think that this was a series written by a woman author. Like, the way that she makes these subtle, perhaps unconscious choices to privilege men's knowledge or, like, their intuitive intelligence is so strange to me. I just can't wrap my head around it. It's also weird that, so the revolution is very much like here Mm -hmm. now, right? It's not like book one where it still seems very far away, like it's happening. And yet grandpa, Ben, and Mr. Merriman are spending a lot of time gossiping about the family horse. Yeah, they just have all kinds of time. Even as we're told the store's never been busier, she happens upon the three of them like, I don't know, like we're trying to figure out when Penny's going to have her foal, like egads like none of us can figure it out and then also like in book three you know the militia is drilling left right and center everywhere everyone's in the street watching them march around ben maybe got his whistle then still unclear to me when that happens he shouldn't have um it. their free black friend has completely disappeared from the picture but it's like at the same time that the revolution is actually happening now and there's more people in Williamsburg than ever like mixed up in this, we have no scene or even appearance of any kind of militia or military presence. No, what was interesting to me, because I don't think this is what we imagine when we picture the American Revolution in these early years, the main way that we learn about the revolution happening is people being put in jail and the jail being basically overrun with too many people. And they're being jailed for being loyalists. But we're not really learning beyond that what the tensions are or conversations people might be having about what they actually disagree on that leads to the jailing. Right. Like there's never any kind of conversation about policy or how that would show up in their day-to-day lives. It's just sort of like there's us versus them. And obviously we all know how we feel about when why we feel these ways which is weird because there will be small moments in the book where Valerie Tripp will go way out of her way to explain something that everyone in the time would have known obviously presumably like when Elizabeth and Felicity are playing with their dolls and grandfather says what are their names and Felicity has like this very insane long name and Elizabeth is just named Charlotte and he goes out of his way to awkwardly say like 
you mean Charlotte as in Queen Charlotte, the wife of King George, like our king of all the colonies who all the <laughs> patriots want to rebel against? And it's just this weird narration that happens sometimes in poorly constructed sitcoms where someone has to build in some storytelling and they do it in the most like subtle, like a freight train way. So it's like, okay, thank you for reminding us the name of the queen, but could you maybe tell us why it's important <laughs> for, for you to be a loyalist? We don't know. I mean, other than there's kind of an obvious that grandpa has a lot of property at mm-hmm. stake, but that's not necessarily a reason. Yeah. Because people went both ways with that. Yeah. I think from the beginning, you know, again, you, you talked about subtlety, like Penny, because she's both independent and the color of copper, check. And then, of course, the the baby calf is named Patriot. We get it, right? She's birthing a Patriot Polly's also probably a patriot. I'm just going to assume because she's like a spirit of 76, baby. Um, But something I kept thinking about, there are people that you and I follow online who do a lot of work with loyalists now. And we've been following Taylor Stormer, who's a public historian. And he posts a lot about the ways in which we have such a bias in the United States against loyalists to a degree where we really don't understand their story. Mm Mm-hmm. And when you think about it, a smart thing, I suppose, about this book is it isn't as if we get such a different picture of loyalists that they're these demonized people or they're so radically different. It does kind of feel like one day people woke up and jailed a portion of their community. Like we know that there are real tensions, but they're not necessarily at the surface the way the text is written. And I think maybe what that's getting at is these are people that coexisted until really recently. And now there's this divide. It makes me think two things. One, in some ways, I kind of wonder in hindsight if it would have been more transgressive of American Girl to make their American revolutionary character um, actually a loyalist. Never going to No, happen. I know what I'm saying. Wouldn't that have been oh, interesting yeah. if they actually told a story about a loyalist family and a girl who actually is as ardently and sort of blindly in favor of her family's cause as Felicity is without really understanding what's happening. And um, because it would be interesting because at the end of the books, they could also explore what it means to be on the losing side of a historical movement or war. You know, what would that story have been like? You know, where would we have gone with that? I, as I was reading the book, I guess because I was bored of the book, I kept thinking, this is the story I wish this book was telling, or I guess the series in some mm-hmm. way. Secondly, when they name the horse Patriot, I'm just going to put this out there, just a question to you and our listeners. Do you imagine that Mel Gibson read this book to his daughter? Yes. And closed the book and just stared into the middle distance and thought, hmm, Patriot patriot the patriot and i erase all the women thoughts it's like there's something there's There's something something there there. yeah that was so i'll say this we haven't given a ton of care to elizabeth's spinoff content Mm -hmm. because she's the loyalist in the story and that may really be worth our time but i think part of why we don't have some of that cultural baggage with loyalists is There isn't a comparable lost cause to the loyalists as there is with the Civil War. Yeah, and I think that's because there's no um, cause that they need a justification for continuing or for mourning the loss of in the way that the lost cause was in many ways invented to mourn or explain their loss in the war by saying like, but we won the higher moral war of course we're preserving our way of life and we will continue to work for white supremacy essentially as their national value it doesn't really work i don't think for loyalists because basically the british empire was just fine um yeah so it's not like anyone's mourning like oh remember the days when we were allowed to be you know like openly owning people as property like because that's good times yeah that stays also but yeah it's not this i don't think it's the same because the british empire is kind of just fine for a long period of time after this. So I don't think there was the immediate mourning, I guess, for the loss of the colonies because they had plenty of, not that they had plenty of others to go around, but I mean, I think the sun still doesn't set on the British Empire in 2019, if, you know, including the Commonwealths. I think, so when you, you look at the aftermath of the American Revolution, we can think of stories of people who are sort of like common or poorer who lose a lot over the course of the revolution or, or don't have gains that maybe are promised. But wealthy loyalists often stayed wealthy. Mm-hmm. 
And I say that because I'm thinking of the various treaties and the court cases. And I was on a guided tour a few weeks ago, or sorry, no, it was was a few months ago. And it was a mansion in Massachusetts. And it was a home that had belonged to loyalists. And there was this conversation on the tour about how in the aftermath of the revolution, the family was part of this very large lawsuit where they essentially sued and got a whole bunch of money back, almost as reparations for what they had lost as staying loyal to the king. And the people on the tour literally started clapping and they were like, that's wonderful. That's really good to hear. No, and I don't say that to poke fun, but there was this sense of like these people had suffered an injustice as opposed to they chose a side and it proved to not be victorious. Mm -hmm. Like there's this very strange, I think both apathy towards loyalists, like that cause just doesn't matter. Or there's this like very quick forgiveness because like you're saying, being absorbed back into society in many cases, these people actually did okay if they had privilege already. Right. Yeah. I don't think, and again, people can fact check us on this one, but I don't think it changed their lives in the same way that you know, potentially the Civil War did. Um, But also that reaction of people on the tour you went on is really strange because I wonder if the person had said like, yeah, and actually as a museum, we're doing some interpretive work around, you know, like comparing the language used for these kinds of payments to like modern discussions about reparations. Shouldn't we, what shouldn't we pay reparations out of our taxes? People would be like single clap. My adamant no was, to even the term reparations like that's a term that I introduced but I think there was an understanding in that context of this was just what was fair Mm -hmm. and I think it's also the difference between of all the genocides in the 20th century I think for many people there's a fundamental sense of fairness in returning art to holocaust survivors there are not comparable conversations about other forms of survivors or other survivors of equally atrocious genocides Mm -hmm. there just isn't a conversation about it but this impulse to say this art should be returned to this community i think is is often unquestioned but to bring up a different case people don't see that connection right and we can probably imagine reasons for that yeah i i think i was a little bit thrown by jiggy nye and again we want a class history that just doesn't exist you know, thinking about him as a tanner, thinking about him as a person who has clearly problems with alcohol. He's missing his first wife and or Miss Manderley. I don't know. We believe that I don't love know. is real. It's out there. We it's do. Subtext. But I think, I think when we do our fan fiction journey, he's a person that it really would be interesting to get into his brain. Like what's at stake for him in being a loyalist? Yeah. I don't know. And that's why it would be interesting to know more of his backstory. Like, is this a property issue? Did he, as I imagine in my mind, perhaps serve in the Seven Years' War and he still feels that loyalty? Well, there's also a very, I think, 1990s approach to what we would think of as his illness, which is his alcoholism, that very much did not exist in the 18th century. Yeah. Like, he becomes very ill while he is in the jail and Felicity and Elizabeth as well as grandpa, impart gifts that save his life. But there's sort of this discourse around Jiggy Nye, like, well, he was ill. Now he's better. He had these terrible troubles. He had this sort of sickness and addiction. Like, that is not 18th century thinking about alcohol. It's for sure not. And in a weird way, it's almost like, I mean, it feels like some kind of commentary on the 90s that the story we get is here's a man struggling with addiction and money problems So we're going to put him in prison and prison is ultimately the thing that leads to his redemption and healing. And it also is through private enterprise, like private aid organizations in the form of Grandpa Elizabeth and Felicity heal him. And he comes out of jail and he's like a new person. He doesn't drink. The alcoholism is gone, which is a word that would have made no sense to anybody in the 1770s. And, you know, his debts have been repaid. He's a new, he's back to who he was before. So it's this weird, like, 90s discourse about, like, prisons that they work and that they can not only heal crime, but also 
your health and your addiction. Yeah. It's really weird and really kind of disturbing. We'll post the visual, but the way that Jiggy oh Nine looks God. when he's in jail, it's it's like it's literally cartoonish, it's insane. of course. And we'll have to talk at some point in greater depth. The art in these books really is fantastic it really is. and it's very beautiful. Mm-hmm. And the artist did a wonderful job with it. And it's something I appreciate because I don't tend to read books with pictures or art anymore. But when Felicity goes to Jiggy Nye to secure his help, it's such a sea change and it's so radical. But even as a reader, I found myself loved into like, yeah, of course he's better. But he is literally about to die. Yeah. 10 pages earlier. <laughs> I wanted to be um, like, what is the presumed diagnosis of Jiggy Nye in jail? Wow. Would love to know because we're meant to believe that one blanket and grandpa paying part of his debts um, is the healing thing. Um, it's just really kind of disturbing to think like, actually what this story does is give you a 1990 whatever definition of what health is supposed to look like. And health is meant to be someone with no debt um, no addiction, no kind of trauma or personal baggage. And I just think that's kind of a messed up way to present what it means to be, I don't know, a healthy person. I mean, it's just not realistic. And it's just kind of demeaning of people with these issues. And something I do think the book gets right about colonial jailing I think a lot of people have that visual of people in stocks, Mm -hmm. right? Or or they picture these very kind of public forms of humiliation and punishment. But I think something that it gets right that isn't of the 1990s is people had these very intimate and close communal relationships with people who they had jailed. And I think today most people live very disconnected, not just from people who are incarcerated, but systems of incarceration. And I'll just say as an example, I used to work up the street from a very large for-profit detention center, but the way that it was constructed and the way that it was built, you literally couldn't almost see it. Like We are very detached today, and that is also a product of the 1990s and even earlier. So you know, later centuries, we don't really on a daily basis, unless you know a person, have a lot of interaction with people who have been jailed or incarcerated in a prison. And this whole community is sort of buzzing around the jailed people. That is accurate for the time. They are not separate unless they're in a very sort of cutting edge institution. I'm thinking like in Pennsylvania, mm-hmm. like in the Philadelphia. Is it a retreat at that point? Or like Eastern State Penitentiary yeah. is not quite yeah, there. Yeah, but um, yeah, the retreat. Which we visited. Yes, we did. Whoop, whoop. Field trip. That was part of like a Quaker journey. We like to go on like utopian vacays together. So we've gone on some Quaker vacays. We went on some Shaker vacays. Those are dreams. I loved it. We went to Swarthmore. Mm-hmm. We looked at Jane Addams papers. We looked at Peace papers. Quaker papers. Then we went to Philadelphia. Then we went to Philadelphia. Oh my God. Then we went to that, speaking of American Revolution, remember we went to the Constitution Museum? Yeah, of okay, course we did. If you have not been to this place, please go for no other reason than you can see a woman. I hope she's still there. She basically performs the American Revolution as a one-woman show with a head mic and like a slideshow helping her out. It is not of this world. That was great. And I remember interpretive folks working there kind of snickered at Rhode Island. And I was like, listen, that reaction is appropriate and professional, but also not wanted. Yeah, that, it's hard for someone from Rhode Island to go to that museum because, you know. Like, yes, we were late adopters, but also we have standards. We're not Delaware. Wow. I hope we don't have any listeners in Delaware. I mean, I guess I'm sorry. You guys have Joe Biden for whatever that's worth. He was the vice president. That's mm-hmm. nice. He likes Amtrak. That's cool. Well, part of why we call this No Country for Old Men is that I do think it's fascinating that Grandpa literally dies rather than have to face the revolution. (laughs) This is a book. Okay, so let me back up for a second. This is a book that I had a problem with because some of the main characters we get are not really fully sketched out as people. They're kind of archetypes. Like Elizabeth basically is like this angel through who moves through the book who is just kind of like a collection of virtues held together by a cloak. And, you know, she's always saying to Felicity, like, we should help Jiggy Nye. We should do the right thing. And I know, like, we find out later that her father is in jail. And so she's thinking about that and wanting people to be kind to him. And that's great. 
But there's no like humanity to Elizabeth. There's no like detail that makes you think, ah, like that tells me something about Elizabeth as a person. These are things she likes. You know, this is what she's interested in. Nothing of the kind. And with grandpa, it's kind of the same. And I do want to put this out there as a theory. I do think grandpa is the Beth March of this book. That's hard to take, but true. Because he really is too pure for this world. He, first of all, you know a character is going to die when out of nowhere there's some narration that celebrates the beauty of babies and life coming into the world. Kind of from left field, you're like, "Uh uh-oh, someone's about to leave the world. Here we go. And at first I thought it was going to be Jiggy Nye and then it ends up being Grandpa. But he is like Beth March and that he he too is just a collection of virtues. He's defined basically by a series of charitable acts. And in this book, at least, um, definitely not the other books. Um, and Oopsie. whoopsies. But he's too pure for the world in which loyalists will no longer make sense. And actually his death doesn't even make sense. Like the nature of his illness also. It's like he went out in freezing rain. Yeah. And therefore he dies. Like, it's just... Did Mrs. Merriman not foreshadow that literally three books ago? Wow. What did she say? (laughs) She had warned Felicity. And if you recall, Felicity said, aren't mothers silly? (gasps) Wow. That's her father we're talking about. Mr. Merriman Ben apparently have no relations of their own. Wow. But that's her dad. It's just... It's not... (laughs) I don't want to say this, but... It's just not interesting. You know what I mean? No. It's not. I'm sorry. But we diverge here because Beth March's death is my favorite part of Little Women. Oh, my God. Okay. No. Let me rephrase why I'm sighing. I'm sighing because when given the choice between which March sister you identify with, you choose Beth March. Every time. Allison, she dies. Right. But she dies having lived the way she wanted to live. I. She never leaves. Felicity is Joe March. No, Allison, how dare you say that to me? No. Felicity is like the Aunt March as a child. She wishes. Yeah, Felicity's like Aunt March as a child where she's like, ooh, like the revolution. I remember I had a horse and, you know, I remember my vacays on a plantation and now my nieces are selling their hair for the union cause. Like, where did it all go wrong? That's my feeling. Also, but I will say it's just kind of like a bridge to meet you halfway. This scene in the 1995 edition, which to me is canon, Little Women, I don't care about any of these other remakes. If no. you are not, I won't get what go into my personal fandom of Winona Ryder on this program because we frankly don't have the time, but it's intense. And I do think she's also been wronged by society. All that aside, the scene in which Claire Danes I, dies. Can we just remember she did that hair <gasps> commercial? No. And you were, okay, we'll post a clip, but she did a very self-deprecating and demeaning hair commercial. And I think you were, you were gone for like a week. I... I <sighs> I can barely form a sentence about this right now. And this was like a year ago. I texted you immediately while it was happening. It was like 911. What is happening in Winona Ryder's personal finances? Why can't we give her a MacArthur Genius Grant to just end this right now? Whatever financial crisis she's in. Thirdly, I think it was an ad for Tresemme. I'm very upset by this. Like, I do not like it when women who have had issues in the past are forced to publicly make light of them, like of real trauma, to, you know, be solvent. I don't know the situation of her life. I know she was raised on a commune, and that's hard. hard. But I will say that she brought a certain something to Joe Marge. It was L'Oreal. Oh, my God. All right. Well, if people... Oh, they on, probably won't carry if us If people as on a the show would like to boycott L'Oreal... I don't want to boycott L'Oreal, I think but- if we all want to boycott L'Oreal... <laughs> Let's support Winona instead. So the line was, everyone loves a comeback. And and it was sort of a wink to her own previous misfortune. I don't like that at all. No, I don't either. That's wrong. It's so upsetting. Because you know what? It's like Claire Danes gets to go on and do whatever. Kirsten Dunst is married or marrying that guy from Friday Night Lights. And I have many questions about that relationship. But she's been fine. Winona Ryder. I'm proud of her. Winona Ryder should be able to also have a glow up in the same way that all of them have. I think she has. I think she's a person who will be better understood many decades later. I think that's probably true. I mean, look, I have even sat myself down and watched her whatever films are available of hers on Netflix 
not limited to, but including the, a movie called The Best American Quill or something of that kind. Yes. And it's my favorite kind of movie where it's like just women together, like working some stuff out, not a lot of plot, but they all make a quilt together. And I'm like, thumbs up into it. Okay, but that's basically this book and you didn't like it. Because, yeah, you know what? There's a lot of like men are here to save us stuff in this book that I truly do not care for. Like grandpa has to move through these spaces and magically heal stuff and pay people off, get people out of jail, loyalist sympathy stuff. And it's just, I do not like these kinds of plot lines. Like, Beth wasn't off paying people's debts and stuff. She just let people feel things. She did. I'll say this too. I'm kind of with you. You know, you had made a note that you just wouldn't want to be present at this horse's birth. And I can't agree more. I can't. This scene is so traumatic for me. I can't even really talk about it. But I will just say, and I know this is the last time I get to talk about this with this series. Okay, just for people who have not read this book, there. so we have this whole plot line the whole time. The horse is going to have a foal. Like, everybody, like, can guess the, like, no one can guess when this is going to happen. Felicity is awakened in the middle of the night by Ben and, and her mother saying that Penny is about to have Patriot, basically. And there's a problem. Ben knows enough to know there's a problem. Felicity takes off and gets Jiggy and I who doesn't seem like overly into helping, except he's like, I guess I owe you a kindness. And it's like, dude, get over yourself. Anyway, you're not you're busy. not busy. You have nothing else going on. You have nothing else going on. So he comes and <laughs> there's this like, when he arrives, Ben is shocked to see Jiggy and I and doesn't get that Felicity literally invited him in the middle of the night. So first of all, it's like, why do you think he would roll up in the middle of the night? Right. Unannounced. Sec- but then his immediate reaction is, I will kill you. Like he has this weird aggro move where earlier in the book he says, Felicity, you were such a good friend to me. Like you helped me when I wanted to run away and you were such a good friend. I only wish I could be a good friend, as good a friend to you. So we're meant to see this scene as him kind of trying to live up to that wish of wanting to be a good friend to her. But really it comes off like, sir, you are 16 years old. I'm going to do a direct quote, page 54. If you hurt Felicity or Penny, I'll kill you. (laughs) Mark me. I will. It's all right, Ben, explained Felicity. She already has to talk him down off ledge. They're not even married yet. I brought him here. He knows how to help Penny. Ben looked confused. He speaks for us all. It's all right, Ben. He is a friend. Like, I'm just going to say this. He's not a friend. And also, I guess that's one of the reasons I've kept against Felicity is that even in the last book, her definition of what a friend is is just as lost as it is now. What are you laughing at? because it's true but also she's 10 and a half i don't care like she's so misguided it's just i wanted to see some personal growth and yet here's the story of friendship we get in this book elizabeth is distant from her because her dad is in jail she slips her a sampler at church that says something like that. that was a great scene where it's like true friends like we'll never be separated i forget what the message is but that's the substance of it Elizabeth, in turn, basically puts this in a frame in in stages like what Melissa Etheridge would call a come to my window moment where she puts it in her window. Felicity keeps going to her house and is like, where are you? And she sees the sampler in the window and is like, "Okay, at least we're still friends. And Elizabeth comes back later and is like, you're still my best friend. Like, need we warn anyone or remind them that there's a war happening? Who has the time when we have all these weird friendship (laughs) battles and, like, Felicity trying to bring a horse into the world, even though she's Dr. Quinn Medicine Woman, she has no... I mean, I thought she was going to deliver this horse. That's what I thought was going to happen. I did, too, and I'm a little disappointed. Yeah, that's why I'm like, I don't want... Or I would have liked if Penny actually ran away from all of them and was kind of like, my name is Independence. I'm doing this on my own. You guys are all crazy. Check back with me later. But I didn't like the Jiggy and I came back in. But Ben is reacting in a way that's so insane as, like, an alleged friend. You wouldn't have this kind of strong I-will-kill-you reaction. So that part is weird, but overall, this book doesn't have a ton going on with it. It doesn't. It has a lot of conversations. It has a lot of chit-chat. Let me tell you another thing. It doesn't have any people. There are no enslaved people in this book. So we do learn that Marcus is going to be responsible for horse care. Well, we we get a scene of Marcus driving the carriage back to the plantation with Grandpa's body. <laughs> I just want to say... 
<laughs> I'm reading subtext in that scene, but there is a mention of like it's a bumpy road. <laughs> you, Allison, you it's in there. Then that this is Django Unchained. Yes, and he throws Grandpa's body over a cliff, which it doesn't but happen. It should happen, and then he would be like, "Oops." You know, this war has been hard on everybody. The topography has changed. But the last scene of the book. Okay, there are no enslaved people in the frontispieces. Again, Penny is a centerfold. Totally. Why not? We're in the last book. Um, But the last scene of the book. Also, the description of, of Felicity in that made me really laugh because it says... Or no, Jiggy and I. Jiggy and I, Felicity's old enemy who treated Penny cruelly. You're nine. Do you really have old enemies? <laughs> Sorry, what nine-year-old is like, oh, can't walk down that street right now. My old enemy's out there in front of uh, Dunkin' Donuts. Can we take a beat here on the corner? Well, with friends like Felicity, who <laughs> needs enemies? Yeah. If I saw Felicity walking down the street, I'd be like, one, don't want to hear any horse talk. <laughs> so I will say... A very, a very valid piece of feedback I have received, very valid, is that we don't really know anything about horses. Oh, that's entirely fair. So I was gifted a book called Girls and Their Horses, part of the Be Your Best American Girl series. Okay. So the cover, sort of can I just say this? The cover you just showed me is a girl kissing a horse. It Red is. Flag but the child one. who owned it <laughs> scribbled all over the frontispiece. So... Here's what I love about this. So it's for American Girl lovers and magazine subscribers who, quote, love horses and dream of caring for a Mm -hmm. horse. So they're riffing on that. Here's the visual that I love. A child took a pink marker and was like, this whole page is important. It's all essential. And (laughs) highlighted all of that. And then they highlighted show jumper, horse chores, and horse guide. So some very, very smart young person was like, these are the pages I need to get me on the way to a Mm -hmm. horse. So I bring this up partially because we have to give a huge shout out to one of our listeners who bought, how many books do you want to guess she purchased for us? Hmm. It's a fortuitous number, like the year of my birth number. What? 87? Yes. What? She bought us 87 American Girl books. Really? So our listener, Emma, who is originally from Montana, bought us 87 oh American God, Girl Emma, books. what a hero. I'm going to post a picture. She's a listener. She's also a colleague of mine. She loves American Girl and she loves horses Thank more. You, Emma. And she very kindly noted that like we could use some input from horse girls. She's not wrong. No. And that's all I can really say. There's things we don't understand. There's a lot we don't understand. Like, we have our own quirks. We're not saying we're perfect. It's just not a journey either of us have gone on. So we're kind of flying blind here. And, you know, just I'm ready to be educated. Great. So this book, I think, is kind of like it's a pump the brakes for every little girl who read Felicity and was like, I'm prepared to own a horse. A lot of it's like, you're really not. Like, you probably will never get there. That's probably true. Which I think is good. Yeah. I mean, I'm trying to put myself in the headspace of like nine-year-old me and what kind of thing I would want to seek out after concluding this series. Like what, like, I don't, it clearly wasn't, oh, I wish I had a horse or could go riding horses. So I don't really know what the activity is. We first rode horses together. We did. I, we were driving through southwestern Connecticut and you saw a sign for horseback riding and basically were like, you kind of get in the headspace where the spirit moves you to do something and it's just like, well, this is happening now. Yeah. And we were with our college friends and yeah, we all rode horses for the first time together. I thought I was going to die. And then I went from fearing it to being like, can the horses go faster, please? Like I wanted the, I wanted to gallop and instead we were just sort of trotting in a line. It was also extremely cold out that day. But that's like, that's your Leo energy where you wanted it to be more dramatic than it needed to be. That's fine with me. Yeah, I accept that. Like it, it was, it was like this pleasant, beautiful horse ride through Litchfield County mm-hmm. foliage, stone walls. And you were like, excuse me, can it go faster? Right. I was like, let's do this thing. I get it now. Let's roll. But this is also like you have this Felicity energy that you haven't resolved. Wow. You know, I did have a therapist once say to me, we repeat until we repair. And it might just be that I keep repeating the Felicity story in my life until I'm prepared to repair (sighs) it. So, I mean, what changes? Like what has changed and changes for Felicity? Absolutely nothing. 
So, well, Elizabeth's dad is moving away. Several members of her fa- of Felicity's family are moving away. Grandpa's dead. Grandpa's dead. That's for sure. Grandma was probably murdered. I accept that. I actually do think that could be a possibility. I'm open to that. Thank you. I hope Marcus runs away. I hope everyone runs away. I hope Nan runs away. She's unappreciated. Nan's my fave. <gasps> Nan and William are so underappreciated. I love them. Because everyone loves Polly now. I know. It's really like they've really jumped from Felicity to Polly. And I just feel really sad for Nan because I think that, you know, she brings something. I don't really know what it is, but she brings something to it. You know, they're so dismissive of William and it's like he's three. It could be the middle child in me, but I just feel like they're not getting the attention they deserve and it's wrong like William is literally doing calisthenics to entertain Polly nobody Nobody cares cares. I care but you know I just sorry go ahead as you know one of my favorite things is reading what other people think about these books on the internet I'm terrified yes and so a person who self-identified as the other John wrote a lot of reviews of these and other American Girl books and I just loved his synopsis because he says so ends the American Girls Felicity series. Things change as the Revolutionary War really makes itself felt for Felicity and her family. The story itself is probably the weakest of the <laughs> lot, but it contains some pleasant characters and illustrations. It fails to rise above simple waiting room material in terms of quality. No change there. And I love the savageness. And again, I'm not casting stones because we're two adults reviewing this on a podcast. But I love that this person who's like, not John, but other John, right. and I pulled out the laptop. Yeah. He was like, click, clack. I got to make myself heard on this. Everyone wants to know what an adult man thinks about American Girl books. And clearly it's not waiting room material because you thought it important enough to write a review. Yeah. I have a lot of follow-up questions for this individual. And if he wants to reach out to us, you know. Please do. Someone also wrote a review in which they implied that Jiggy and I was part of the Merriman family, which I found interesting. (laughs) But I was like, what if he's an uncle? Oh, that. Or what if he's grandpa's brother? That's what I'm saying. Oh, my God. I would actually really like like that. He didn't inherit as much land, so he had to turn to the tannery. Uh, And he couldn't keep up with his own horse breeding lifestyle. Wow. And grandpa comes in and he's like, I thought about sending you to the glue factory. But instead, I'm going to pay your debts. I think that's really powerful. It could have happened. It might appear in my fan fiction forthcoming. That's a great segue because we're not done with Felicity. We're sure not. Like the revolution is still unfinished and we're not finished with this. We can't quit Felicity, even if she's ready to quit us. We're going to be investigating what we'll call Felicity Futures by dipping into the world of <laughs> fan fiction. You're giving me a weird look. Maybe I won't call it that. It has to be all Fs. Okay. Felicity Futures, fan fiction. Okay, I'm into that. I'm very fascinated by fan fiction as a genre, and we're really interested to see where people take Felicity's story going forward beyond the end of the timeline of the books, or even just telling the stories from a different perspective, or whatever we find there. So we haven't read any yet, we can't comment on it, but we're very excited to that. And I think we might write some of our own and post it and just see what response we get, if any. So stay tuned for that. I also think one thing that is now so interesting that we're looking at this as the ending point. There is a mention in A Peek into the Past that in 1781, so five years after this series ends, there's fighting just outside of Williamsburg. And that's a really good reminder of how long the American Revolution actually lasts. And maybe this will be one of our jumping off points. How much more fascinating would it be to meet Felicity at age 16 when that fighting is happening and she's almost certainly married to Ben. Yeah. Oh, she's definitely going to be married to Ben. I would love to dip into Felicity's story when she's newly married and when kind of her experience of womanhood is is, is shifting and we get a sense of her um, going from someone, a, a young girl who is taming a horse in a hardly subtle metaphor for the ways in which she perhaps doesn't want to be tamed herself in the world she finds herself in, to then being a wife and mother. And what does it mean to raise children in a new republic, in a completely new nation? 
Um, so reproducing liberty, reproducing freedom, all of these kind of concepts that historians have talked about in examining um, motherhood and Republican womanhood. Do you think there's a chance that when she inevitably inherits grandfather's plantation and the enslaved people who live there, that she frees everyone? No. And I'll say no. I'll say okay. this, because it has not occurred to her in what we've seen so far. Like, that impulse isn't there. And, you know, maybe she gets there, but it's also kind of like... When when the books talk about Marcus briefly at the end of the at the end of the series, he's going to leave with father to be a commissary purchasing agent, or I forget what the term is. But and when they leave town, she we get her vision of her father leaving town with Marcus, and she describes father saying he looked you know so handsome, and Penny's coat was shining like gold, and then there's no description of Marcus at all. So our last no. last image of Felicity is as someone for whom Marcus's image riding out of town literally doesn't register and is not worthy of comment. So unless she goes through a major transformation, I don't see her being a super woke owner of a plantation. Mm, Yeah, true. And I mean, that would track more with what historically did happen Mm. in many families. Yeah. I mean, I see her maybe in her lifetime going on that trajectory of maybe not necessary evil to positive good, but thinking about slavery as kind of a necessary evil that she's prepared to live with for the length of her lifetime or just sort of take on the opinions of her husband. So maybe the question we should be asking is, do you think Ben is someone who would free the slaves that Felicity inherits? No, No, because I think he's George Washington. He's a social climber. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree with that. Totally. He's ready to ditch the store and have some other underling run it as he has. Yeah. Yep. I don't question that for a second. Totally agree with you. Totally agree with you. We did also ask for people to reach out to us via Instagram if they had any thoughts, theories, or ideas. So I do also want to share that. Yeah, let's hear it. So we got some really great feedback from our friend who you can find at Rebuilding Ballet. And her question was similar to ours. What's next for Felicity? I was a little sad when her OG series ended. Did the extended books uh, or AG world guide any more detail about her life or just what historically would life for Felicity be like during the war? And she also is curious if she and Ben would end up together. I think those are all great questions. And I think in some ways we are cutting her off right at the most interesting time. But I think they're cutting her off right before her privilege would really start to be checked. Mm -hmm. So you think of, you know, there are all these stories about Abigail Adams and the way that she keeps the family homestead going while John is away for the revolution and away as a diplomat afterward. They're still in a relative state of privilege just because they have resources through John and their networks, it's not easy. Their privilege is cut back. They have less. But that would be a harder story to tell and a different story. Yeah, I agree with that. We also had another piece of feedback from our friend Squeezing Moments. And a lot of these are folks who connected through us with doll accounts. And she mentions being a little bit older than us. And she talks about being a bookworm. But she also wanted to just share with us that Molly is really the person who planted the seed thank you. We feel the same way as well. And she recently busted out her Molly that thankfully her mom saved. Thank you to moms. And she says she fell in love again. And I think that was really nice because I love when people share with us that this or something else around this is triggering them to go back and look at these memories. And we're revisiting these things that we experienced as a child with fresh eyes And I think that's different from nostalgia. Yeah, I think nostalgia is taking a really uncritical view of something that once meant a lot to you that you are revisiting because you desire to have the same emotional response that you're recalling having in the first place. And I don't think we can describe what we are doing as taking an uncritical view of these books. I think we have a deep appreciation for the series and the makers for what the books have meant in our lives and the choices we've made. But I think, you know, we're also capable of looking back and saying, hmm, like this 90s multiculturalism and views of race, like sure makes for some not great reading, you know, on second pass as an adult. But I don't think it we can also say, you know, it, we still enjoy it and it's still interesting. I don't know that I will be as equipped to be critical when it comes to Molly because my connection was so much stronger as a child. Yeah, I'm worried about us with Molly. 
We'll have to see. I'm really We'll have worried. to have like a safety check like every episode of like maybe a sound effect or something where it's like if I hear you not being critical maybe when we should be, I'll hit a button and you can do the same for me. I also think that we're pretending that like that's the point at which we'll become unhinged <laughs> when I have my Felicity doll sitting over my shoulder for the purpose of this recording. She has great hair, by the way. I have taken some photos of you, too, which we will share. Thank you. I think overall, this book had some challenges for us because, again, it was dialogue heavy. We didn't feel like there was too many changes. But I think Valerie Tripp was playing the long game and she was like, I want to leave you wanting more. I think that could be true. But I think it could. What if she's also doing a subtle thing of like, the king is dead, long live the king. Like, in other words, when this revolution ends, like forecasting that it's going to end, what if Felicity's life doesn't change at all? Like, in other words, we've just changed one king for another and her, you know, limitations in life are exactly the same as they were um, under the king. Realistic. I mean, not to end with like a, a dark note, but, you know, what if there's no freedom doesn't mean much to a woman in the American Revolution? unclear. I'm thinking about um, revisiting a book that I read a couple years ago, I think you read too, called um, Parlor Politics by Catherine Algor, where she talks mm-hmm. about um, the ways that women, it's, it's a nice pairing with revolutionary backlash, which I know we mentioned a few weeks ago. And it talks about elite women in particular and the ways that they tried to involve themselves in the politics of the early republic um, without having the increased standing that maybe some women hoped that they would get through the revolution, but didn't um, really materialize, but using kind of social spaces and conversation to help their husbands or their own causes. You know, Dolly Madison, of course, being the most prominent example of this. I would also recommend No Constitutional Right to Be Ladies by Linda totally, Kerber. Totally, yes. Really anything by The Curb. I love The Curb. Her. Oh my God, hero. We did meet her. Um, She's amazing. But Part of why that book will speak to this conversation and an earlier one that we had for this recording, there's a lengthy series of passages and cases about women who were loyalists and what happened to them after the war because under coverture, they were legally covered by their husbands. So if one's husband was a loyalist, you were considered a loyalist. At the same time, women weren't thought to be political subjects. So some women were able to sort of circumvent the punishments that were inflicted on certain loyalists, almost with this understanding that basically as ladies, and so again, we're not talking about people who are unfortunately disadvantaged. We are not talking about people who are disenfranchised, but certain kinds of women were able to make this claim that they were essentially outside of politics and then retain their property. Mm -hmm. So that's also pretty interesting. Also Taxi and Um, Vody. Taxi. If you don't know Taxi and Vody, this is the book for you. We did have one more recommendation aside from the Martha Ballard, and we'll link to that. And it's an article by the historian Alan Taylor, and it's called The Unhappy Stephen Arnold. And it's basically a real-life Jiggy Nye, a person who is violent in his community who is punished. And that is in an edited collection, so we'll post that link when we put the episode notes up. And, you know, I, I just to transition us a little bit, I mean, by way of closing out the show, this book lacked a plot that satisfied. And in some ways... You know, I know for you, Allison, like true crime and detective and mysteries are something that kind of light you up and in a weird way calm you down. You know, yes, like watching a serial killer documentary is something that, you know, you do to unwind casually. Yes. I will take a BBC mystery with an elderly woman solving crimes that calms me down set in the past. I've been watching a lot of Miss Marple lately and, you know, it feels like a safe space and like a kindred spirit. Um you know, but we both love to listen to podcasts together, a kind of like, you know, a, ser- a f- theme of this the whole book's our friendship. And I think something for us is that we love to like take in the same pop culture stuff so that we can talk about it. So one of the journeys that we are on together right now that we just kind of want to briefly touch down on and invite people to join us on is a new podcast called The Ballad of Billy Balls. We love it. We're obsessed with this. Can't even talk about it. You texted me this morning that a new um, episode had dropped and I immediately rolled it and was texting with you but it's it is wild it is absolutely this is an, another show that also lacks a coherent plot and yet we can't get enough of this unlike unfortunately this book I'm just gonna humble brag for a second and just take us back like two steps 
So it's hosted by Io Tillett, mm-hmm. right? And Io is perhaps best known to many people who watch television as a former co-host of the TV show Catfish. That's correct. We should note a guest co-host. It was when Max went off to make that DJ movie that unfortunately was not successful. Literally one of the least successful films of all time. I think time. it was the the least successful yes. film of all time. But speaking of film, and this is where my humble brag comes in, the consistent host, Neve Shulman, made the documentary Catfish. I saw Catfish in theaters. Before wow. anyone knew it was a verb, I saw it in <laughs> theaters. God. I'm just This saying. is a weird flex, but I respect that about you. You know, you're just like a hipster that you were onto this before anyone else. I'm only a hipster about crime okay when people mention a case and it's like oh you've probably never heard of it it's like try me (laughs) like oh you want to talk about the genesis of late 20th century clown fears john wayne gacy what do you want to talk about i don't do clowns so i will not be asking any follow-up questions about that but i do respect this about you um and i do want people to stay with us because i know news is going to be breaking about this we started this at a hysteric fever pitch By the time this comes out, by the time we reconvene as a world, we could be grappling with a broken up Kate and William. I mean, they have three. Like she could get a last name again. (laughs) That's true. That is true. I mean, Windsor technically is their last name, but I mean, does anybody actually use that? No. I mean, that's the whole point. Like when I sign junior ranger certificates, I just put my first name and I always say it's because I'm like, sure. And then I know if they have a sense of humor, if they respond. Well, I mean, if they're children, they might not, you know, like know who Cher is. Yeah, it's not for them. That's on them though, honestly. What are we teaching in these schools? Um, What am I teaching? Yeah. And I hope you'll stay with us as we continue to do just a little bit more with Felicity because we are not done. Oh, we're not even close to done. We will entertain additional topics that do not start with f but we do prefer fan fiction and the like for felicity correct and if you've been with us on all of these books in felicity and you have your own questions or comments about the felicity series please send them to us in our various social medias and email which allison will read off to you and we will discuss them on the show so allison how can people reach us there are many ways to reach us and we love when you reach out to us so we have an email address, which is AmericanGirlsPod at Gmail. You may also follow us on Facebook at American Girls Podcast. On Twitter, you can chat with us, send us a message. There we're a girls pod. And last but certainly not least, we are also available on Instagram at the American Girls Podcast. I sincerely love every single direct message. I love every contact that we have with people. And to those of you who spent some time in, I'm sure, your very busy lives this week, sharing our podcast, reviewing our podcast, getting the word out, I can't tell you how much we appreciate that. We really do. I mean, it's so moving for us when people we don't know are sending us emails or contacting us and writing reviews on the iTunes store. It's just really cool to see like this kind of community that the show has kind of brought together and we're just really happy to be part of it. We listen to a lot of female-centered and female-voiced podcasts and one thing we promised ourselves we wouldn't do would be self-deprecating that no one would listen to us but it is also validating that people do listen who aren't our moms. So yeah, that's been really fun. And we are working on a website that's coming soon-ish. And where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at MaryMahoney123 or on Instagram at Mimi, M-I-M-I, Mahoney. You can find me, I use my first and last name for all my handles. So I am Allison Horrocks on Instagram. That's also where you can find me on Twitter. And you can email me at the same. Well, everyone, you know, changes for Felicity, but not changes for our show. We're going to be doing a couple more Felicity-centered episodes. Not a girl, not yet a woman. Brittany, we are thinking about you. Can't stress this enough. You are our American girl for all times. And we also want to acknowledge Beyonce's homecoming, uh, also an American girl who's above hot takes at this point. And she knows what it's like to be cheated on. Wow. I'm speaking to Kate Middleton, who I presume listens. You know, you're the only loyalist that we respect right now. 
And Elizabeth. Well, of course, Elizabeth. I mean, that goes without saying. Like Beyonce, she's above hot takes. We're thinking of all of you. And please be in touch. Thank you. Until next time. Until next time.